We began a new series last Sunday uh, entitled Red Letters, the Words of Jesus. And uh, we're going to look today in Luke chapter 6. That's our foundational scripture. Uh, the Bible says this, Jesus is speaking, words in red. Here we go. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? And I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. And when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who, does, anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. And when the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. So look at that first point. So the words of Jesus, we recognized this last week, the words of Jesus are powerful, right? John 6, 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. And then in, in Luke that we just read, the scripture that we just read, we recognize that Jesus' words are foundational, right? Jesus said, you can't build a life that lasts unless you build your life on the word of God. It's not enough to come to Christ. It's not enough to listen to what he says. We actually have to do what he said to do. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus said, and not do the things that I say to do. It's when we obey the Word of God, right, that we experience the benefit that that Word brings. And God's Word literally becomes a foundation stone upon which Jesus said we can build a life that will last and endure the storms that come against us. But we also recognize that not only are Jesus' words powerful and foundational, but really this is where my heart has went. Jesus' words are insightful. And I really heard the Lord say this to me. The Holy Spirit really quickened in my heart. He said, Keith, he said, this series is not about learning principles just to live by. That's important, and I love principles from the Word of God. He said, but it's really about connecting people to my heart. God wants to connect us to his heartbeat because through the words of Jesus, we get an insight literally so we can see here and really begin to feel the very heart of God. And one of the prayers that I pray, uh, probably uh, not regular enough, but I pray consistently is I pray, God, let my heart get in sync with your heart. I want to be in sync with the heart of God. I want my heartbeat to beat with the heart of God, so that I am walking in unison and in step with Him. So this series is really all about that. It's about how do we get our hearts in sync with heaven so that we can see here and then ultimately feel the heart of God and line our lives up with the heartbeat of heaven. So last week we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and we learned kind of some key things. Look at that next point on your outline. Uh, last week we looked at Matthew 6, 24 through 34 and Jesus taught us this principle. He said if we'll serve God, stop worrying and start living our lives God's way, guess what will happen? He said God will give you everything that you need. And we talked last week about positioning ourselves in the light of the sun, the S-O-N, Jesus Christ, so we can fully receive everything that God has for us. And that really does happen when we serve God, stop worrying, and start living our lives God's way. That's what the kingdom of God is really all about. So I want you to look with me today at Matthew chapter 9, because we're going to look at a few more red letters, and we're going to kind of draw out some awesome stuff today from the very heart of God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. The Bible says, but when he, speaking of Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then Jesus said to his disciples, here it is, here are the red letters. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So look at that next point on your outline. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let's talk about that for just a second. The harvest is plentiful. I want you to understand this morning that when Jesus looks at a broken, hurting world, how many know we live in a broken, hurting world? I mean, it doesn't take very long. Watch about five minutes of the news, and you recognize we're a broken world. Listen to another five minutes of the news, and you're going to realize we're a hurting world. We are a broken, hurting world. Not just America, but the nations of the world are broken and hurting. And when Jesus looks at a broken, hurting world, I want to tell you what he doesn't see. He doesn't see an enemy army that's coming against him. He doesn't see overwhelming obstacles that can never be met. When Jesus looks at a broken, hurting world, he sees a harvest that is plentiful. He sees a world that is ripe and ready for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sees people that are so broken and so hurting that there's only one remedy for their soul, and the remedy of their soul is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is exciting to me because when we recognize how Jesus begins to look at the world, many times we look at the world and you hear people, the old little saying, people look at the world and say, man, it's a jungle out there, you know, and it's so dark and it's so dreary and it's so sinful and it's so wicked and it's so perverted and it's so corrupt and there's so much of this and there's so much of that and it's just a horrible place. And I even hear people say, I don't even know if I want to have children and raise them in this world because the world is so bad. Jesus looked at the same world you're looking at. And Jesus did not say, oh, the world is so bad. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. He said there are so many broken, hurting people that you can't move in any direction without encountering somebody that needs the hope of the gospel, without encountering somebody that needs the grace of God to remedy the burden of their soul. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest it's plentiful. Think about for just a second what qualifies somebody to need a Savior. The only thing that qualifies you to need a Savior is that you've got to be a sinner. <laughs> and if you look around our world, the world is qualified, amen? <laughs> There's a lot of sin. <laughs> There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of perversion. There's a lot of wickedness. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a whole lot of messed up people out there. And it's those messed up people that Jesus said are ready to be harvested. And you might say, well, Pastor Keith, you know what? I try to talk to people and I try to reach people. And you know what? I've recognized that people are resistant to the gospel and people are hardened toward the gospel. And even sometimes people are aggressive toward the gospel. And I just want to say with you, I want to say with you, yes, that is true. There are some people out there that are resistant. There are some people out there that are hardened. There are some people out there that are even aggressive to the gospel. And that is true. But how many of you understand just because something is true doesn't mean it's truth? So you might break your leg and you might be crippled for six months and you might say, I'm crippled right now. And that is true, but that's not truth because you're not a cripple, you're just crippled. And it is true, there are people that are resistant and there are people that are hardened and there are people that are even aggressive against the gospel. But Jesus said, my word is true. So guess what the truth of God is? The truth of God is that people are ready to receive. The harvest is plentiful. 
There is unlimited opportunity for the life of Christ and the light of Christ and the love of God to pierce the darkness because I refuse to believe that the blood of Jesus is not greater than the sin of the world. I refuse to believe that the sin of sinful people is greater than the grace of God because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And so all of a sudden, Jesus makes this declaration, the harvest is plentiful. But then he says, and the laborers are few. And I love, I love his word choice. I'm glad Jesus did not say the harvest is plentiful and the pastors are few. Or the worship leaders are few. Or the children's ministry team is few. Or the youth workers are few. He said the laborers are few. Let me give you a revelation today. This is not the harvest field. That is the harvest field. The church is the training center. This is where we gather so we can grow, so we can go back out into a world that needs Jesus, right? We gather so we can grow, right? We get trained, we get equipped, we get challenged, we get ministered to, we get healed, we get restored as we gather. But guess what? The church is not the harvest field. The world is the harvest field. And we gather so we can grow, but ultimately so we can go into the field. Because Jesus said the problem with the harvest is not the harvest. The problem with the harvest is there are not enough laborers. And so I love this statement. Look at the last part of what we wrote down on our outline. So Jesus did a couple things. Jesus removed our excuses. He just removed them. Well, people just don't want to know. People just aren't receptive. People, people, people. No. Jesus said, if you're not a soul-winning, disciple-making, devil-stomping Christian, it's not the world's fault. See, at Liberty Church, our vision statement is really simple. We say reaching out and raising up. We want to reach out into a broken, hurting world, and we want to raise people up in their full potential in Christ. And then we have a mission statement that defines how we're going to do that, how we're going to reach out and raise up. It's really simple. Three things. We're going to win souls. We're going to make disciples. We're going to destroy the works of the devil. And it's really easy for us to make excuses. It's really easy for us to make excuses as to why we're not winning, why we're not discipling, and why we're not destroying the works of the devil. It's really easy. And I talk with pastors now. I get the opportunity now to talk to pastors all over the nation. And what is crazy, I meet so many pastors with so many excuses as to why their church isn't growing. But you know what Jesus said? The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. In other words, Jesus removed all the excuses. There is no excuse for you and I as individual followers of Christ not to be reaching people, discipling people, and ministering freedom to people. And there's no excuse for us not to be a soul-winning, disciple-making, devil-stomping church. See, this Sunday, next service, not yeah, this Sunday, next service, 11 o'clock service, we're going to baptize five people. Holly Pond's going to baptize three people today. There is not a week, let me just say this, there is not a week that goes by in the life of Liberty Church that somebody's not saved, set free, and made whole. There's not one week that goes by. Almost every week we see people get saved, but every week we see people get saved, set free, or made whole. Every week. Why? Because we are a part of a New Testament life-giving church, and we are committed, right, to being laborers. How many know it's laborers that get the job done? It's laborers. It's people that are willing to put their hand to the plow. It's people that are willing to do the work. It's people that are willing to get their hands dirty. It's people that are willing to be inconvenienced. How many know real labor is an inconvenience? I mean, let's be honest with you. Real labor is an inconvenience. 
It's going to cost you. It's going to require things of you. It's going to inconvenience you. And Jesus brings us to a place where he says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, there are no excuses. And then, then I love that last part. So look at that last part on your statement there. Jesus literally invites us. He invites us to roll up our sleeves and join him in the field. <laughs> To roll up our sleeves and join him in the field. And as I was praying about this, the Holy Spirit said, he said, Keith, he said, it's, it's more than just joining him in the field. It's about an intimacy with him. It's about an intimacy with him because there is something about the heart of God that moves us to the harvest. See, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. And then he, then he makes this saying. He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send forth more laborers into the harvest field. And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, he said, what you pray about, you care about. Think about it. What you pray about, you care about. What you pray about, you care about. And Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So here's the remedy, Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth more laborers under the harvest. Why? Because the more you pray for the harvest, the more your heart will be moved to the harvest. What you pray about, you care about. See, I can tell you the two most popular prayers that almost every person in this room probably prays. We pray for money, which is provision or finances, and we pray for family. Money and family, 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 money and family. God, meet my needs, meet my needs, meet my needs, take care of my family, take care of my family, my kids, my grandkids, my nieces, my nephews, money and family, money and family, money and family, money and family. And you know what most Christians care about? Money and family. You know why we care about it? Because we pray about it. What you pray about, you care about. And so Jesus said the remedy, the remedy to engaging laborers is engaging warriors in prayer because the more you pray about the harvest, the more you'll care about the harvest. The more you pray about the harvest, the more you care about the harvest. The more you pray about the harvest, the more you care about the harvest. The more you pray for broken, hurting people, the more you'll care for broken, hurting people. And it's an invitation to get so intimate with God through prayer that your heart begins to break and be moved with compassion. I heard a story, true story, happened years ago. A pastor was speaking at a big pastor's conference in a big, a big city, and there were about 500 pastors there. And this, this one pastor who was, who was kind of leading the charge at that, that, that conference, he stood up on the platform and he asked this question. He said, how many of you pastors believe that in the next 12 months you could double the size of your church. How many of you pastors believe that in the next 12 months you could grow your church and double the size of your church in the next 12 months? Out of 500 pastors, he said about 10, 15 hands popped up over the, over the building. And he said, I don't care if your church is 50 people, 500 people, or 5,000 people. How many of you believe you could double the size of your church? 10, 15 hands. He said, let me ask you another question. He said, what if somebody came to you tomorrow and they said, Pastor, if you double the size of your church in the next 12 months, I'm going to personally give you a million dollars. He said, how many pastors think if somebody were to give you a million dollars if you double the size of your church, you could double the size of your church in the next 12 months? And many hands went up. And then he asked this question. He said, one more question. He said, let me ask you this. He said, if somebody came to you tomorrow and they said, if you don't double the size of your church in the next 12 months, I'm going to kill one of your family members. How many of you could double the size of your church in the next 12 months if somebody was going to kill one of your family members if you didn't do it? And every hand went up. And then he made this statement. I'll never forget it. He said, the reality is, most of us are motivated by money and family. Money and family. But my, a love for money and a love for family is not enough 
is not enough to do what God's called us to do. And when you read the scripture, the Bible says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. See, Jesus is inviting us not just to roll up our sleeves and join him in the harvest. Jesus is inviting us to draw so close and intimate to him that through an intimacy with Christ, we now have a compassion for broken, hurting people. I hear some Christians talk about people in the world, and they're mad at them, and they're angry at them, and they even hate them. Those wicked people, those homosexuals, those this, those addicts, those this, those abusers, those, those liars, those manipulators. I just can't stand them. I wish we'd just wipe them. God, just wipe them off the planet. I don't read Jesus doing anything like that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the only time Jesus got frustrated and aggravated and rebuked people, you know who Jesus rebuked? He rebuked religious people who knew the love of God but refused to share the love of God with people that were going to hell. If you just want to be really honest, his fury would be focused here, not there. Because when you know the love of God and you refuse to share the love of God, that frustrates the heart of God. But Jesus looked at a broken, hurting world. And no, he did not condemn their sin. And yes, he is grieved by the wickedness of their sin and the abuse and the pain that happens because of it. But his heart breaks because he knows that what they need is what he has and what he's given us. And God is inviting us to come so near to his heart that through intimacy with him, we develop a compassion for them that moves us to a place of love and action where we begin to not only pray for the harvest, but begin to do something to reach the harvest as we labor together with Christ. Look with me in Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Look at that next point on your outline. God's heart always connects us to the harvest. And then the Holy Spirit asked me two questions I want to ask you today. He said, Keith, who are you laboring for, and who are you laboring with? And then he said, I want you to write down three names. See, when God picks on me, I pick on y'all. I just kind of pass it on down the line. I'm sorry. Who are you laboring for? Who are you laboring for? Who are the people that you know that don't know Christ that you're laboring for to see them come to know Christ? Who are you laboring for to see, to see them birthed into the kingdom of God? And then he said, I want you to write down three names. Let me just be honest with you. I couldn't. I wrote down two names, two, two people that I have been purposely, strategically, prayerfully laboring for them to come to know Jesus. Two. Now, we can make an excuse, and I could say, well, you know, I'm the pastor, and every Sunday I labor for souls, God. How many know that don't hold water with God? And how many of you know saying, well, God, I'm a Christian, and I'm always watching for opportunities to share the gospel? That don't hold water with God. Who are you laboring for? 
See, all the ladies in the room can, can agree with me on this. All the ladies in the room know that labor is personal. When you're birthing your baby, you're not thinking about the 400 other people that are birthing babies. You're thinking about your baby. <laughs> your mind's on one baby. Not 400 other people that might be having babies at the same time. No, when you're in those labor pains, you're thinking about one baby. Why? Because it's personal. Can you write down three names of people that you are purposely praying, pursuing, investing, sowing, loving, serving, sharing to see them come to Christ? Are they so clear and real in your mind that you know without a shadow of a doubt, here are three people that I am purposely, personally laboring for? If you're like me, maybe you can't. But I want to challenge you to do this. I want to challenge you to go home this week and say, God, show me three. Because here's, here's the challenge. The longer you're saved, the smaller your circle gets. Because you just start hanging out with Christian people. Well, that's good. We're supposed to hang out with Christian people. But how many of you understand Jesus was also a friend of sinners? And if all I hang out with and talk with and work with and do this with is people that are saved, then I'm going to have a hard time introducing people to Christ because I don't know anybody that needs Christ. So you got to be on purpose. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I spend my life working with saved people. So I had to be on purpose to pursue lost people by name that I know. So I want to challenge you. And then he said, who are you laboring with? See, the apostle Paul there in Galatians said, I am in labor pains again with you until Christ is developed with you. He was talking about Christian people. He wasn't talking about laboring to see them come to Christ. They had already come to Christ. He was now laboring with them to help them fully become who Christ had called them to be. Who are you laboring with? Now, for me, that was an easy list. I, I mean, I wrote down name after name after name that I am personally, not talking about who I'm preaching to on Sunday, people I am personally discipling, personally mentoring, personally investing in. I could write down, I mean, I just stopped writing names. So that made me feel a little better about the first list. <laughs> But it didn't get me off the hook. Because I believe this. I believe that as a Christian, we ought to always be laboring for and laboring with. Jesus said the laborers are few. The laborers are few. Who are you laboring for? Who are you laboring with to help them grow in their relationship with Christ? I want to challenge you, go home and write down three names there. Write down the names of three people. If you don't have three, say, God, show me somebody that I can labor with in their faith to help them grow. And you don't have to be a million miles ahead of them. You just got to be one step ahead. Right? You got saved last week. They got saved this week. You got a lot to tell them. It's all good. So we've got to labor with them. Let's look in John chapter 8. Some more red letters. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light of God that leads to life. Look at that next point. 
So Jesus said he has given the light of God that leads to life to those who follow him, right? If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, guess what happens? God is giving you the light of Christ that leads to life in your, in your heart and in your life, right? He has given you that light. But I want you to see something. I want you to see that following Christ, following Christ is more than just coming out of the darkness. It means receiving and becoming the light of the world. If you follow me, Jesus said you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light of Christ that brings the life of God into your world. Following Jesus is more than just coming out of darkness. See, we have a, we have a distorted mentality of Christianity. That Christianity is defined by what I don't do. Right? I don't cuss, and I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't run with those who do. I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't steal, I don't commit adultery, I'm not lustful, I'm not looking at pornography, I'm not lying, I'm not, I'm not doing it, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not doing any of that bad stuff. Coming out of the darkness of sin is step one, okay? That's a good place to begin. <laughs> Jesus said if you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness, right? So following Jesus means I'm going to come out of the darkness of sin. But I'm not going to stop by just coming out of the darkness of sin because there's another kind of darkness. There's a darkness that covers a world that is absent of the life and the light of Jesus Christ. There's a darkness of deception that blinds the minds of those who do not believe, that keeps them from knowing Christ. And so, yes, 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 we've got to come out of darkness. There has to be real repentance, and there has to be real transformation, and that happens, and we've all seen it, right? When you got saved, there was some immediate transformation. You came out of some stuff, and you started walking in some stuff that was brand new to you. But many Christians stop there. They stop with the coming out. But Jesus said, not only do you not have to walk in darkness, but you're going to receive the light of God that brings life to the world. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5. More words in red. So Jesus says, John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Matthew 5, look what Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. John 8, Jesus said, I'm the light. Matthew 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city set on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, for no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. You are the light of the world. Now look at John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says, And the word, speaking of Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone, and the light, I love verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Look at that last point on your outline. We don't have to fear the darkness because we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, red letters, you are the light of the world because if you follow me, I've given you the life of God that brings the light of Christ, that produces the life of God in the hearts and lives of other people. You are the light of the world. You don't have to be afraid of the darkness. Why? Because when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has to flee. Jesus' life brings light. His light brings life. So we literally are the life and the light dispensers of God on planet Earth. We are the light of the world. You are 
the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And following Jesus, hear, hear what he said. Following Jesus is not just about coming out of the darkness. Listen to me. It's coming out of the darkness of sin, but it's stepping in to a world of darkness. And you don't have to go very far to find a world of darkness. Anywhere you see a person that doesn't know Christ, they're in the darkness of sin. They're in the darkness of deception. And for most of us, that means going home, going to work, going to Walmart, going to the grocery store, going to the ball game, going to band practice, going to school, going to university, going to college, going wherever you're going, right? Because it's not very hard to recognize we live in a world where many people, unfortunately, are living under the darkness of deception bound by sin. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness can never extinguish it. This is, this is huge. This is huge because, because he is calling us to come out of the darkness of sin personally, but to step into the darkness of a world deceived by sin and shine the light of Christ. Have you ever wondered why the devil works so hard to intimidate us as Christians? He works so hard to intimidate us. And as I was praying about this, the Lord said, Keith, he said, Satan's greatest tools of intimidation are fear and insecurities. And I know insecurity is a form of fear, but fear and insecurities. Satan uses fear, right? We're afraid. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Our own insecurities, right? I, I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm gonna, how I'm going to respond. And so Satan uses our fear of what they will think or our insecurities of what we think we don't know to get us to sit down, shut up, and stay home. <laughs> because when you speak up, stand up, and show up, the world changes. Just show me a Christian that is truly following Christ. And when they walk into the break room filled with darkness, the atmosphere changes. It, it, it's, it's amazing. Profanity, dirty jokes, nasty jokes, and one Jesus freak walks in the room and the whole atmosphere changes. You ain't got to say anything. You ain't got to do anything. All you got to do is shut up. I mean, show up and they'll shut up. Don't shut up. Let them shut up. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know what will happen in the lives of kids that are trapped in darkness? All mom and dad have to do is just show up. Walk in their bedroom. Look at their cell phone. Get on their computer. Search their iPad. Just show up. And you know what will happen? Darkness will start running. Darkness will start fleeing. Darkness will run. Because when the light of Christ shows up, the darkness can never expel it. You live in a family where there's chaos and confusion, just show up. Show up with the light of Christ. Show up with the love of God. And all of a sudden, there will be a transformation that will happen. Just showing up. And Satan works so hard to intimidate us. Just sit down and shut up. Sit down and shut up. Don't show up. Don't get engaged. Don't get involved. Just stay on the outside. 
He works so hard to intimidate us because Satan knows that if we show up, he can't win. He can't win. Why? You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say that. Jesus said that about me and you because we've accepted him. You are the light of the world. So here's my challenge for you today. Let's be laborers who shine the light. Let's labor for and labor with people. And then let's just shine the light of Christ everywhere we go. Let's refuse to be intimidated. Because I want to just say to you today, if we refuse to be intimidated, if we will labor with Him, and we will shine the light of Christ, the world will change. Now here's what I know about light. You get to choose. You get to choose what kind of light you're going to be. And let me tell you why that's important. Let me give you one more scripture, and we're not going to read it all, but I'm going to read one verse out of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. You get to choose what kind of light you're going to be. You get to choose what kind of laborer you're going to be. You get to choose. Jesus has given you what you need. He has shined the light of Christ. He's given you the life of God. He's entrusted you with the great treasure of His Spirit and His presence and His Word in your life. And now you get to choose what kind of laborer and what kind of light am I going to be. And this is why it matters. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Why does it matter what kind of labor and what kind of light you are? It matters because if your light doesn't shine, if it's hidden, if it's concealed, your light will be hidden, the Bible says, from people that are perishing. If your light doesn't shine, it will not shine on the people that are dying and going to hell. It matters because God has entrusted us with the light of Christ. And all we got to do is show up. And if we'll show up, speak up, and stand up, amazing things will begin to happen. And you get to decide what kind of light and what kind of labor am I going to be because the world is counting on us. Let's bow our heads today. With every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never accepted the life of Christ. And I realize today I'm still bound in darkness. But I want to change. More specifically, I want God to change me. Because <laughs> let's be honest, we've all tried to change a thousand times and failed. But when the light of Christ, which is the life of God, comes into your heart, there's a supernatural transformation that takes place that only God can do. It's called being born again. And today you can do that. And if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to do that. I want to accept the life of Christ. And I want the light of Christ in my heart and my life. I want to come out of darkness. And I want to follow Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I've never done that before. But I want to do it today. If that's you, I want you to do something very simple and powerful. I say it every Sunday. It's simple because you did it before you walked in here today. And it's powerful because it's an act of faith. This is what I want you to do. I want you just to stand. Just stand to your feet. Just a simple act. I want to stand up right now. I want to stand up because I want to come out of the darkness. And I want to follow Jesus who's the light of the world. I want to come out of the darkness and I want to follow Jesus 
who is the light of the world. If that's you, just stand up right now. I want to pray with you, and we're going to put a packet in your hand today to help you move forward in your relationship with God. But it all begins with a simple act of faith. We believe and we receive. And if that's you today, right now, just stand. Just stand up all over this, all over this sanctuary today. Today, I want to come out of darkness, and I want to follow the light of Christ. Well, Father, I thank you today for every person that's here. I thank you today that you've called us to be laboring leaders who shine the light of Christ. We are laborers. And Lord, today we commit to labor with and labor for people in the kingdom. God, we're not going to be spectators. We're going to be laborers. We're going to be inconvenienced. We're going to give our time, our talents, our treasure. And we're going to do it with joy. Because we know that somebody labored for us. And Lord, we're going to shine the light. And we're going to be a beacon of hope for a world lost in darkness. So that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So Lord, may we draw so near to you today that we hear and feel the very heart of heaven. Which connects us to the harvest of souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.